beloved congregation, you will never be finished studying the Word of God. Because the Word of God has great depths to it. And the text you may have read many a time will lighten up and appeal to you in your specific circumstances of life. God's Word is a glorious book. And young people, please study the Word of God every day. You need God's Word to guide and to lead you through life. Without God's Word, you will make wrong decisions. And there are many people who made wrong decisions because the Lord was not guiding and leading them. And the Lord guides and leads you by means of His Word. His Word will change your life. And therefore, read God's Word consecutively every day. There will be verses you don't understand, but other verses you will understand. And the more you read, the more you will understand. God's Word is a beautiful book. You'll never finish studying it. And that's also because there are sections in God's Word which are difficult for us to explain We just read that first section of Zechariah 12. And I wonder what does this actually mean? And I think you're wondering that too. When you read there of a great war and devouring and that the Lord will smite every horse with astonishment, verse 4, and his rider with madness. It's a great war what's described here. And we wonder, what does that mean? Is that still going to happen? Has it happened? Is it spiritual when all the nations are gathered together against the church of God? As such, that is true, that all the nations will be united against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, that is true. But his church shall be more than conqueror through him who loved her. That's also true. But if you look here at at, at the description of what's going to happen to the people of Israel, we think of events in their history. We can point out certain events that may be a fulfillment of that. The Maccabeans between the Old and the New Testament. There were great wars there because of Syrian oppression. We won't go into that now. But the Lord gave them victory. But was that the fulfillment? And we have stood in awe at what happened when the people of Israel came back now in our lifetime. And then when they were harassed by nations around them with organized armies who were bent on destroying them, and and Israel won the battles repeatedly. It was a miracle of God. But is that the fulfillment of this? Is there something else going to happen? We trust the Lord will give light and insight when it will happen. 
But what's specific here is, in this chapter 12, is that it says there are in verse 10. And that's the highlight of this text. Yeah, 11, our text. That's the outworking of that. But in 10, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon them. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. That's the Lord Jesus. And they shall mourn for him. They shall mourn because of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Now we know on the day of Pentecost, those 3,000 men standing before Peter, they were struck in their hearts. We have crucified our own Messiah. What must we do? And Peter tells them they should repent. For it shall come to pass that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. Repent and be baptized for remission of sins. And there you see that those 3,000, they were pierced. They were in their hearts. They realized that they had crucified the Lord Jesus. And so they, we can say, they looked upon him whom they had pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. Maybe that's a fulfillment. Or do we still expect, and I personally believe that, on the basis of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 9 through 11, and also what various texts of the prophets, that there will still be a mass conversion among the people of Israel, now, today, in our lifetime. We pray for that, we hope for that, but we will leave it to the Lord who guides all things. And if there would be such a mass conversion, then they will realize that their ancestors, and they are included in that, in them that they have crucified their own Messiah. But we're not there yet, because many Jews are very antagonistic against Jesus of Nazareth. But what the fulfillment is of this chapter 12, we must read carefully, pray carefully, and we trust the Lord will give light and grace. Now, we are now in a service of preparation for the Lord's Supper. And then we won't focus so much upon Israel, but we will focus upon something that happens in the lives of God's children. And that is verse 11. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadadrimon in the valley of Megiddo. And it's about that great mourning, that great sorrow. And that's very scriptural. That those who know the Lord Jesus Christ will have a great sorrow. A godly sorrow, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, a godly sorrow that worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. A godly sorrow, a yearning for the Lord. There's a sorrow after the world, the apostle says. 
And then people desire the things of the world, and they grieve if they don't have more of what the world can offer them. That's a worldly sorrow that leads to condemnation. But there's also a godly sorrow, and that's a sorrow after God that's a yearning for the Lord, like we just could sing from Psalm 416, My soul thirsts for the living God. That's how the Holy Spirit works. He doesn't make people complacent that now they're set and now they're children of God. They'll go to heaven so they can just carry on with their life. No. When the Holy Spirit works, He shows you so many shortcomings and that drives you out to long to be filled with more of Christ, to know more of Him, to yearn for Him. That's a godly sorrow that works repentance. That's combined with meekness. That's combined with hearty prayer to the Lord. For I need God. I need the Lord more and more in my life. I can't do anything without the Lord. I need Him to teach me to love Him and to walk in His ways. That's a godly sorrow. And that's what we find also in our text in verse 11. That great mourning is also a godly sorrow. And so we see there this morning a godly sorrow, and we observe the picture, the cause, and the effect. You may remember King Josiah. He ruled over the kingdom of Judah. He was a godly king who led the people into reformation. He cleansed the land of all the idols. And then he went into the land of the ten tribes, the land of Israel, and he cleansed that land of idols. He was a godly king, much loved. And then it happened to be that Pharaoh Necho came out from Egypt. And he was going to battle against the king of Assyria. And then King Josiah intervened. He didn't want... King Necho to cross his country. And in that war, Josiah was killed. And there was a great mourning, a great sorrow among the people of Judah. For days and days they grieved and sorrowed. A great grief was there. And that's what our text refers to. In that day... There shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadadrimmon in the valley of Megiddo. The valley of Megiddo, that's the valley of Megiddo. It's just north of the Carmel. There's a whole valley, a plain, and that's where the armies would fight each other. That's the valley of Megiddo. That's also Armageddon. Har Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo. It's all a symbolic language for a great battle. And that's what the, what the text is referring to. And Hadadrimen, there was probably a little village close by, known in those days, a close by where King Josiah was killed. Hadadrimen, a village in the valley of Megiddo. And there was a great sorrow among the people of Israel at that time. And that sorrow will be repeated. It's prophesied. It will happen. 
that it will be a sorrow, a grief comparable to the grief the people had when King Josiah was killed. Zechariah uses also another illustration. He refers then to the death of an only born son. Imagine parents who've only one son. And he's going to take over the business. He's going to carry on their name. They had their hopes fixed upon this one son, and then their son dies. What a grief. What a sorrow. When they bury their only son, they bury all their hopes and all their anticipations, their sorrow. There's also another illustration. There's what happened when the people of of Israel left Egypt. You see, then there was also a great sorrow among the people of Egypt because their firstborn had all been killed. The whole land of Egypt was in great sorrow and they wanted the people to leave. And so they gave them gold and silver. Please get out, otherwise we'll all die. Now, those are all illustrations of the sorrow what Zechariah is explaining to us here. So that's the picture of this godly sorrow, various illustrations. But now the cause of this sorrow. Where does this come from, this cause? Well, it comes from verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And that is meant the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of grace and supplication. And the Holy Spirit teaches a person to realize the sins in his life so that he will grieve because of his sins. And then he also has a spirit of supplication. And boys and girls, supplication, that means to pray. So, when the Holy Spirit works, there will be a knowledge of one's guilt and sin, and there will be prayer. You need God to wash away your sins. You need the Lord to renew your life. You call upon the name of the Lord. People start to cry out for the living God. You pray like you never used to pray. You need the Lord to intervene in your lives. You try to do your best, but you know that doesn't help. You try to improve your life, but that doesn't help. You have no peace in your soul. You need the Lord to pour out His peace in your heart, and so you Call upon Him. It's because of the Spirit of grace and supplication. And because He is the Spirit of grace, He also reveals Christ to these people. And then they see that their remission lies in the Lord Jesus Christ. They learn to look to Him to cry out to Him, to trust in Him, to believe in Him. And that means that not just a mental reasoning, I believe, but it is a a surrender of one's life and heart to the Lord, that He is at the center of my life. That is faith in the Lord Jesus. 
And then it becomes clear to such people that the Lord Jesus had to suffer so terribly that all the sufferings the Lord Jesus went through was necessary to save you, child of God. It's not just one drop of blood. That's everything. Everything he endured, he did it for you. Think about that this coming week. And humble yourself because of that. And you see the Lord Jesus in his sufferings. You see that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, crushed because of my iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. We all went astray like sheep. We all went our own way in life. But because of the spirit of grace and supplication, he drew us back. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the deep reality. And when you see that, there's sorrow in your heart. You say, wretched man that I am. And you say, O Lord, unite my heart that I may know thee and love thee and obey thee and walk with thee. That becomes your desire. Is that how it is in your life? If this is strange language, lay this before the Lord. Lay this before the Lord and let your prayer be that the Lord would teach you these things. That's a good thing to do, to pray to God to teach you these matters. And he's willing to do that. But anyway, this is the, the sorrow after God. It's a godly sorrow. And that sorrow is so strong because it's mixed with love. Because when the Spirit works in one's life, he pours out love towards the Lord. The Lord is so good. So it's grief because of myself. And it's a love to the Lord. That's what godly sorrow is. And that's why it works. Repentance. You want to turn to the living God. He's worthy of everything. And you desire to live with him. Well, in the setting of our text, we can say that Zechariah is prophesying here that there will still be a general awakening among the people of Israel. That the time will come that Israel will be converted and there will be a great sorrow throughout Jerusalem. You know, it happened in the New Testament. We mentioned already the day of Pentecost. And after that, others who were converted. You read about that. It's beautiful how the spirit of grace and supplication works. And people receive sorrow and they receive love. And there's repentance in their lives. And they were added to the church of God. It's glorious. It's good news. It's still happening today. And I trust amongst you as well. Because your prayers are not in vain. Throughout history this happened. That people were filled with the spirit of grace and supplication. 
and there was a godly sorrow. It happened to individuals throughout the world. It's happening now in Iraq, in Iran, to mention just two countries. It's happening throughout the world. It happened also in the days of the Reformation. And there are accounts recorded of that. There are accounts, for instance, to mention one example of a, of, of a great change in a person's life. It happened in Paris in 1634. There was a handsome young man. His name was Bartholomew. And this handsome young man, Bartholomew, was strong and very lively. He mocked Christianity. And he lived in all kinds of sins of immorality and drunkenness. He was a singer who sang all kinds of songs of mockery against the true believers in the Lord Jesus. This all really happened. And then an accident occurred in his life. He broke some of his ribs, but he thought he was so strong he refused medical treatment. And what happened was, he became all hunched over, and he was practically paralyzed, and, and, his, and his back was, was hunched over. He could only use his arms. But he was still so proud. He had now become so weak. He was the son of a cobbler. So he sat in the cobbler's shop of his father, was forced to stay there, was deeply cast down. But he still mocked Christianity. And as he sat before the window of his father's shop, he had no other relaxation than looking at the people who would pass by the street because he had to stay at home. He couldn't go anywhere. And he still remained a mocker. And there was a Christian, a Reformed Christian, who passed his window, and Bartholomew mocked him. And the Christian stopped and moved by the terrible condition this young man was. And he walked up to the window and said, Poor man, why are you mocking God's children? Don't you see that God has misformed you? to bring you low that you would be converted in order to lift up your soul? And then Bartholomew was shocked. And he asked, would that be true? That God did this to me to bring me back to him? And this Reformed Christian gave him a copy of the New Testament. And the young Bartholomew opened it and read it. And by the reading of God's Word, he was converted and he saw his past life, what he all done, had done. He saw the goodness of the Lord. And he had sorrow. He had a godly sorrow. He had grief because of what he had done. Grief because the Lord was still so good to him, the sinner. And the sword of God's word penetrated his heart. And now he loathed his previous actions. But the gospel of Christ comforted him, and he found the Savior. And after that, this same young man passed on the riches he had found to other members of his family. And just as his mockery had seemed to be inexhaustible in the past, now he became so devoted to the Lord. He gathered children into the cobbler's shop of his father and taught them Bible accounts. 
and taught them Christian songs. With meekness, he instructed the many visitors who came to his father's store. His shop became a school of godliness. And it's all historic. It happened in 1534 and 1536 in Paris. And later on, the same Bartholomew, he was burned to death for his faith. When the persecutions broke out. But he knew what a godly sorrow was while he had been such a wicked man. Maybe there's someone here in church who doesn't follow the Lord. He has to be here. That's why he's here. But he's not interested. Why are you not interested? Has the Lord done any injustice to you? Has he not been good to you, giving so many blessings? Must the Lord cause a great accident to happen in your life to bring you low? The Lord would much rather that you turn today to the Lord and that you say, Lord, I never cared about thee and I know I'm absolutely wrong. Pour out thy spirit upon my heart and you will be saved. And then you will never look back because not one of God's children will regret that God converted him. The only regret they have that they were not converted earlier because the fear of the Lord is a rich blessing. And so, congregation, we all need the spirit of grace and supplication to work in our hearts. And you know, when he works in your heart, the things you like to do, you don't want to do anymore. And the things you didn't like to do, that's what you want to do. Because you see now what is really valuable in life, what is really worthwhile in life, because the love of God moves you. And you know, he loved you then so much that he was willing to give himself into excruciating suffering to bear the curse of hell. Not just this, the, the, the suffering on the cross that was terrible, the physical and the mental suffering, but the spiritual suffering, being cast away in the depths of anguish and terror that's where the Lord Jesus went. That's where you are heading for if you are unconverted. If you don't give the Lord Jesus the due place in your life, then that's what will happen to you. But he did it all. He went through it all. And that's going to be commemorated at the Lord's Supper if the Lord spares us next week. And they are the signs of his broken body and his shed blood will be given, and there we may remember the great sorrow he had when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and the great sorrow he had when he was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the sorrow you may have because of your sins becomes greater 
because the sorrows that Christ had to endure, that's your and my fault. And then it becomes such a wonder that he is willing to look upon such a person as you are. But then we see the effects of this godly sorrow. The effects of this godly sorrow, we saw that already somewhat, that there will be a great change in a person's life. We saw that in that example of that young man, Bartholomew. He became completely different. And that will also happen to the people of Israel when the Lord works in their heart. They will become completely different. They will no longer be antagonistic against the Lord Jesus. There will be grief and supplication as never before. There will be personal prayer and personal sorrow. We see that in the following verses. It's a very personal matter. And that makes Christian religion so beautiful and so blessed. It's not just a general faith, but it's a personal faith. Not just a general sorrow, a corporate sorrow, but it's a personal sorrow and a personal peace and personal love that you know the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He is with me. He guides me. He leads me. He protects me. Then you have a personal comfort and at the Lord's Supper, there you may reflect upon what He did in order to save you, and you have a personal comfort. There will be personal prayer and personal sorrow. That's what the text speaks about. Because we see even the kings and the leaders are mentioned. There'll be a great change among the clergymen, the prophets, for the text speaks about Nathan, but also the priests. For the text speaks about the house of Levi. And also Shimei. Well, who was Shimei? What's meant here in Shimei? Calvin considers it to be a reference to the tribe of Simeon. Because the tribe of Simeon was incorporated in the tribe of Judah. We also know from 1 Chronicles 6, verse 17 that Shimei was one of the sons of Levi. Then it would be an individual grieving among the families of the priest. So what happens when the spirit of grace and supplication is poured out? There will be a personal grief in the father's heart, in the family, but that will spin off to the children. It will be personal. Like it says here, in verse, verse 12, the family of the house of David apart, separated, and their wives apart. Nathan, but also his family, and the wives, and Levi, and Shimei. It's a personal sorrow. So we don't have to look to another but we can be focused upon the Lord alone. And when this godly sorrow is present, it will work out repentance. And you will never regret that repentance. For it's a repentance not to be repented of, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7. Do you think that young man Bartholomew ever regretted his conversion? 
Do you think he regretted his conversion when he was put to death by fire for his faith? He never regretted it. Because also then the Lord was with him. The Lord was sustaining him. He felt it. He knew it. That's why he could go through that suffering. There, will be a, there was a personal dedication to the Lord because of the goodness and the loving kindness of the Lord. And so you desire to live for and with the Lord. So when God's Spirit works, it will be a personal dedication to the Lord of individual sorrowing but there will also be a deep-felt joy in your heart. A joy because he gave himself for me. He proves his love to me that while I was still a sinner, he gave his son for me. And that becomes such a miracle for me. If that for me is not there, it means nothing. But for me, then it becomes personal. Then it becomes your salvation. He becomes your Savior. In coming Lord's Day, we have the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So for whom is the Lord's Supper? It is for those who grieve that they do not love the Lord Jesus as they should. It is for those who grieve that they have forsaken him. It's for those who grieve because they do not have more knowledge of their sin and iniquity and that bothers them. It's for those who long that their lives will be dedicated to him. They need the Lord Jesus. They cannot stay away from him. They may not even be assured of their share in Christ. They may not be able to testify of God's clear dealings in their life. They may not be able to point a day and an hour when which the Lord changed them. But they long for Him. He has become their life, their refuge, their hope. Daily they cleave to Him. They need Him. They don't want to live without Him. And so they thirst for the living God. They hate all manner of sin and they desire to be changed after the image of Christ. And they can do nothing without him. These are the guests at the Lord's Supper. They seek their life outside of themselves in the Lord Jesus. And when you lack so many things in your life, then let there be supplication with you. You may ask the Lord for all you stand in need of as he is a fully perfect, willing and able sorrow. So congregation, what kind of sorrow do you have? We all have a certain sorrow. It's either a godly sorrow or it's a worldly sorrow. It's either you long for the Lord or you long for the things of this life and what this life can offer you. What are you longing for? 
what's your greatest wish, your deepest desire in your life. Let that question occupy us in this coming week. Amen.